Striking while the iron's hot to be your authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. Welcome to We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find us on the web at seekandstrikecollective.com. Welcome to another episode of We Are Seek and Strike podcast. How are you doing tonight, Alicia? I had a little bit of a lag there. I think about what I was going to say. No, um, I think that's how we all feel right now. You know, I, I saw on Facebook that you're kind of hitting the writer's block. I'm feeling the same way. You know, it, it's just like an eh kind of week for me. Yeah, it definitely is one of those eh kind of weeks for me. Um, you know, just, you know, this whole mental health thing is a, a serious thing. And I never really thought, you know, you, you're like, well, I'm at home. I got all my stuff here. Like, this is my safe haven. Like, I can be strong. But mm-hmm. then, but then, you know, if you don't get to get out a lot or you're not seeing a lot of your friends or things like that, even though you're here at your safe haven, it's like you still feel alone and there aren't enough things to keep you busy. Yeah, there, there really isn't. And, like, I think it's starting, starting to get to the point where you're just eager to get out especially those that they go to work and i mean we do get out but we only see work home and then if we get well like if we get lucky like oh i need to go get this to the store i need to go get groceries i need to do this that's basically the three things you're seeing to get groceries home and work you're not going anywhere else yeah see i wake up and like my my kitchen table is like work right so like mm-hmm. it's like i wake up i walk to the kitchen table like breakfast may or may not happen and um and and then before you know it it's like lunchtime and because you know i start at like nine you know lunch for me is maybe like one or two but mm-hmm. you know for those that i work with lunch is like 11 or 12 so i'm trying to you know kind of play the average kind of play in the middle of there so that way i can hit lunch too and it doesn't seem too awkward that I'm going so late but that's just kind of the schedule that I'm on and so then I may get out for lunch um you know but it's fairly quick and then I'm back for the rest of the day and then it's like okay well now I'm in so you know it's it's definitely just been quite the struggle um I was I was telling um Jake one of our friends this I was saying on on Sunday you know, I pretty much got out of the house, went to Boba Tea Company, and sat in front of the old Hastings on Wyoming and just played music loud and just sat there and enjoyed Boba Tea Company. And and it was like something for me to do. Like it wasn't necessarily being around people, which is what I would have wanted, but it was at least like I was reading up something on about extroverts being being alone during the pandemic, and it was saying that you know you yeah, you could be around people, you can get outside, but you could also like do things like, you know, play music loud or, you know, or, or some of the different like hobbies you're in, just kind of turn it up. And, you know, and, and I typically sit in, in silence here at the house. So I'm like, okay, let me go and try this. And it was very like therapeutic. I definitely helped me through the moment. Um, but, you know, of course you get back home and it's like, all right, cool. I'm good for this moment. And then it's just been hard. Like I said, I have not been able to write what I wanted to write, um, you know, and, and now slowly but surely, I think the thoughts that I have 
are starting to kind of decompress mm -hmm. as far as what I want to write. I just, I like to, to be, I, I wanted to be faster about writing some things, but it just still brought me till Tuesday either way. So. Yeah, no, and I think we can all understand that. So like, you don't have to beat yourself down or anyone that's listening. If you feel like you're just, get to the point where you don't know what to do and you're getting kind of like antsy you're getting anxiety from it like it's okay just take the time to yourself and just go do whatever you feel like doing if um like for me for example i like i said i've been going from working home and going to get groceries but sometimes i'll sit and like I'll sketch things, I'll color, I'll paint, and like, and that was what kind of is helping me right now too. Right on, yeah. My mom was like, "Why don't you paint some some fruit?" And I was like, "Yeah, maybe I'll go to the grocery store and buy some exquisite fruit, and then I'll paint it, and then I'll juice it." You know what I mean? And yeah. and then we'll go with that. Um, yeah. So then I guess kind of transitioning out of that, like, yeah, mental health is huge, um, and I guess we're seeing that a little bit through the different sports. Um, I've been watching a little bit of the NBA playoffs. You've been watching Champions League. And, you know, Champions League, as of late, has produced two big moments right now, one being Bayern, or Bayern beats uh, PSG 1-0, right? Yeah. And so, you know, Bayern, who, who got to the final by – defeating Barcelona. What was that score? It was something like... Oh, it was 8-2. Yeah, see, I saw the score line, and I was like, wow, like... Yeah. Wh what exactly happened there? So could you kind of, I guess, you know, for me and maybe the listeners who hadn't caught uh, those matches of the Champions League, kind of catch us up to, to how we get to the final. Man, I Bayern and PSG, it was... I like I kept predicting and predicting, you know, these are our two final teams and there's both such strong teams and Bayern from the Bundesliga, I I I don't know, it's just something that they're so different and when you look take a look at Barca and you think like, oh well they have Messi, they have Suarez, they have um Antoine Griezmann, they have Piqué in the back and they have their Sigan as their goalie. They're a strong team, but Bayern just dominates them. And in that game, um, Barca was getting so frustrated at the point that they couldn't even keep possession. And it was just um, Bayern, it's like like Phoenix Rising. They go and they go, they go and they go, and they, they just don't stop. They get hungry for the goals. That's interesting that you, that you bring up Phoenix Rising because – I was just picturing as you were describing a, a team that's real hungry like that is like there seem to be obviously two types of teams. There are teams that are very savage on the pitch and they pretty much just every every whistle, every play, every they're looking for the ball, it's it. And then there are other teams that seem to kind of be kind of casual about it and, you know, like they they're not fully committed to that sort of way of, of play. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so so go ahead. Oh no, no, go ahead. No, no, no. So I was gonna say, like, so so what you're describing definitely is resonating with me, just like on two different levels of play and what seems to be like prevailing. So so then so then 
the match with Barcelona and and is it PSG? That's the the one before, correct? The one. Uh, I can't remember because I know PSG ended up playing. Who was it? Leon? No, it was Leipzig. The one with the red, the Red Bull on their jersey. Okay. Oh, so okay. Yeah, that was a, that was a yes, that was the semifinal, and okay, uh, and so so Barcelona played Bayern. Is that correct? Bayern, yes, in the semifinal. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Just trying to get that correct, and so that's the game where essentially. Byron beat some like eight to two. Yeah. And and were those goals mainly in the first half, or were they pretty much just kind of did the game break open somewhere? You know, I was watching it while I was at work, and by the thirty sixth minute, they were four nil. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was. I like I kept getting up to do something and then there, I like I hear a goal and I'm like already it's like 20 minutes and then like five minutes later goal 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 and I'm like yeah like Barca's done like I knew by the 20th 30th minute that Barca was done yeah and see I'm not super deep into like watching Champions League I mean I you know I watch Premier and I was watching mm-hmm. the Bundesliga when I first came back and these are things that I'm trying to get more into this next time around but when I was just looking at the highlights, even for uh, what was it, uh, Barcelona, and I'm not sure who it was. They they had beat someone six one, and it was like, it was like, okay, wow, the goals just keep pouring in, and then, and then you know, seeing seeing how the final match between PSG and and Bayern went, and I'm like, okay, Bayern is like a team that will go and and. Um, you know, score four or five goals against you. We saw what they did against uh, Borussia Dortmund, you know, mm-hmm. and and then seeing this match being like 1-0, it's like, all right, cool. So these are finally the two teams that ultimately, you know, um, present the most challenge to each other. So in the USL championship, you know, it would be like Phoenix rising and, and probably – what like Lou City or you know or like like the teams that it's been for the most part and you know and and so a team like New Mexico United still quite a ways to go compared to a team like that that you're describing that is just a hundred percent savage and hungry for the ball like that. Yeah, and and when you picture the final when you knew what two teams you're going against in the final. PSG is a strong team. Don't get me wrong. They're one of my favorite teams. And you have Mbappe on there. You have Di Maria. You have Neymar. And then you have Navas as goalie who came in midseason for PSG from Real Madrid. An amazing goalie, too. It's just I had no idea how that was going to play out. And at the end, I'm glad it was kind of a one nil game because you know those teams are – kind of equal to each other because they both played their heart out and it was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it was such an interesting game to watch. And it's just, it it was a really tough one. And with that goal, if the defender like would have jumped, I'm not kidding you by that much, it would have been a nil nil game. And we probably wouldn't even seen it go to penalties. 
Well, let me ask you this, because this is you, you kind of brought up Phoenix Rising and it made me think about this. Like we often worry about Solomon Asante and about how he can kind of, you know, be a little extra theatrical on the pitch and, and dive and whatnot. And I know Neymar is is known for the very same thing. Like how much of Neymar's like theatrics were involved in that final match or was it really a clean game for the most part? Actually, like pretty funny that you bring that up. He actually kind of stopped that. He's not, he wasn't throwing himself as much. Towards the end, I mean, he kind of was because, like, you know, getting frustrated and was looking for the penalty. But I mean, what player doesn't do that at the end when it's a big game like that? But he was pretty clean about it and they would like kind of push him, but, you know, he'd get back up right away and he wouldn't do anything about it. Mm. Yeah, I was wondering about that because it just seems like, you know, we're starting to see a lot of these different players that the minute they get touched, it's like, you know, they're fully down, like, you know, like giving you like 10 push-ups and, you know, <laughs> and, and it's just, it, it's got to make the game so much different because, you know, now you got this player that you have to like really watch and, you know, and he just gets the right angles and stuff and. Um, yeah, for me, like, you know, like I said, I've been watching, you know, the NBA, like we kind of switched the whole subject on the pod for a minute, but like, you know, I've been just pretty much watching the Clippers and, and of course, you know, keeping my eye on the Lakers at the same time. And, you know, it's been two different types of matches. I mean, you know, the Dallas Mavericks, like are kind of really shocking me as they're playing the Clippers because, you know, I, I watched the game the other night. And it was like Luka Doncic just burying a three-pointer from like half court. And, you know, and I'm just like, okay, this is crazy. And I'm sure right now the Clippers and the Mavericks, may, they may have already finished playing that game tonight. But I started sweating it a little bit because, you know, like Clippers are projected to get to the finals against the Lakers. And and then the Dallas Mavericks are kind of real. Oh, I don't- no. Uh, actually – I take that back. The Clippers beat the Dallas Mavericks 154 to 111 tonight. Ooh. Just, yeah, that's, that's, that's a hell of a score. I'm just going to say, like. I don't know, because to me, like, I've been watching a little bit of the NBA. The Bucks have been doing pretty well. Yeah, the Bucks have been doing really well, too. Uh, and I know that they were controlling um, their, their matchup, too. Um, I don't have, like what is like their their bracket and whatnot. But I know that they were like 3-1 in their series. Mm-hmm. Um, the team that's probably been the, the shell shocker is Boston Celtics. And I didn't really expect them to just sweep their series, but mm-hmm. um, they're looking good, you know. And, you know, and this is like the really the first time in a while that I've been able to just watch. Like, I guess like all the sports came back and I'm like, okay, let me just focus on New Mexico. Like that's like mm-hmm. the number one focus for the most part. Like, you know, we started we started watching Bundesliga, so that was it. They came back. I was waking up really early watching those matches, and then all of a sudden the other leagues started coming back. So then it's like, okay, well we can wake up a little later, and then then now everything is back, and I'm like, okay, um, I can't really watch all this. So <laughs> like, I'm gonna have to watch the one that's live, and then go back and watch the ones that are not live, and try mm-hmm. to catch up on things and. You know what I mean? And, and that's been that. But 
I don't know, like just I guess over a whole, like I mean, how happy are you that the majority of the sports are back, uh, especially like the teams you watch? I'm super excited. Like I finally get to watch something on TV and like it's weird, like them using the fake crowd noises, but you start getting used to it and the, and it's just nice to have them back and you can see them like they're they're not letting anything phase them with what's going on. They're playing they're playing normal. And you know, the NFL comes back here in a couple like two, three weeks, and there's obviously going to be no attendance, so I'm, like, really excited for that, too, and I, I can't wait. I mean, none of these teams have, like, crowds really affecting the gameplay. I mean, home court advantage, home field advantage isn't really a thing for the most part. Um, just and how you're watching, like, is it changing your experience? Like, does it, does it kind of create this sort of like idea that now it's just really about which teams are better because there's no distractions or anything. Yeah. And I like, and I was just bringing up that example too, like not necessarily soccer, but the NFL, because I'm sure you've seen the Seahawks game, their, their fan base. It's crazy. You see the, the quarterbacks like squish their helmets so they can try in here, but it, it's hard and this year like they're not gonna have you know their 12th man it's gonna be quiet they're gonna be able to hear what they're gonna be doing and also the saints too they have a crazy fan base mm -hmm. and it's just it's gonna be weird for the home team not having that much crowd noise there because they know they use that to it to their advantage in the past What's interesting that you say about that is like looking into the USL and, and, and I had one more topic to get into or a couple more topics, but the USL, we're seeing some fans at the matches, like for instance, New Mexico United played uh, at Real Monarch, which we'll get into a little bit deeper here in a few. And they had limited uh, crowd attendance there and they really weren't an impact whatsoever. No, they they weren't. I feel like when I I see some like true fans in there, but at the end of the day, like I just see people who are just eager to get out and they'll just go just to go because they need to get out of the house and just see something different. Yeah, and I'm sure part of it's COVID and and they're impacted for what they could do. I know the strict rules earlier this season were that uh, fans cannot sing or chant um, or anything that they thought could that's in potentially spread particle, if you will. And, you know, they had to sit six feet apart. So it's like, it's like they're watching this match, like very casually. And you know what I mean? And then of course these teams really pick up on like crowd participation and, you know, so they're not getting that. And so it's just like, it, you know, it's definitely separating. Like I'd say like the, like it's separating like the teams from like, the stronger ones to the weak ones, you know? Yeah, it's definitely like our team. You know, we have one of the highest attendance rate in the USL with averaging 13,000 fans per game. And, you know, we've been playing every single game on the road so far. And I know, I know it's been tough on them. And 
it it's just sucks that we can't use that to, to our advantage this season because I know last season if you were sitting in the front stands the team the other players from the other team doing a corner kick we'd be yelling we'd be screaming at them and we'd get in their head and you would even see them like you know rubbing their head shaking their head because of how frustrated they were getting well and the crazy thing is that the, the clubs that have had the crowds that we've played against um okc um colorado springs and real monarch like i mean we've obviously gotten positive results against those clubs but their fan bases really have not oh and yeah their fan bases really have not been much of an impact i was in my mind i thought about phoenix rising and their fans at the porter potties um <laughs> you know trying to sing and chant and things like that and you know but it's like they weren't really directly in the match so like the other thing that kind of came out of champions league hoopla this week was the messi wanting out of barcelona yeah it i he's apparently he's getting bored of there and i mean he's been there for a long time i believe over a decade and you know it's time to spread your wings and go somewhere else but is it truly because he's bored or is he upset at the result that Bayern left? Right, right. So that's created this like crazy, like fandom sweepstakes where everyone wants Messi, right? Like I think I saw something on the internet today, like, you know, uh, what was it? El Paso Locomotive had a, a kit already designed with the number 10 on it. And then for New Mexico United, uh, Manny Esquivel, you know, had, I think it was his Instagram. He had like, like a player. And then on the, on it was like Messi's head. It was like the New Mexico's newest signing and New Mexico United fans, like totally like called out Peter in a post and was like, Peter sign Messi. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I thought that was pretty hilarious. And I saw another one too, um, where Messi he's in the in a Warriors jersey for the NBA. I was like, come on. <laughs> I mean, the time is now. Like, look, everyone wants Messi. It's getting messy, you know. Um, I I just thought like, okay, well, isn't Peter a Barcelona fan, or he's from there, right? Or he was living there. I I honestly have no idea. <laughs> I, I thought it was. I thought he was living there, or he's a fan of the team. It was something of that. I'm sure. Like, we'll, we'll get it squared by the time this is out on the internet. But um, nonetheless, like, it was cool that the fans kind of went to it. But I thought to myself, like, don't be giving away Marino's number ten, guys. Like, unless he gives it, <laughs> unless, he, unless he offers it up to Messi. Like, don't be like creating all these memes with someone else's number on it like give him up santi's number 11 or something you know like yeah you know make that 11 worth something <laughs> yeah i was like dude what a, what a trip and so and that you know and then of course you know peter he's playing with the fans he's like well you never know and it's like again like if if that's his team if that's if that's even something that he ever wildly thought about man I don't know how you go to sleep with that. Like the guy wants to leave. Like, do you have enough money to like just make it happen? Like, maybe Messi could own part of the team. Like, I started thinking about <laughs> I started thinking about Didier Drogba and about how he owns part of Phoenix Rising, and and I was like, man, I go, how did that guy end up with Phoenix, playing for Phoenix, and then he's like owning part of 
you know, of part part of the brand as well. And I was like, man, like maybe that's what you got to do. You know, you got to bring one of these guys from from over there and then be like, hey, you can own like twenty five percent of this. You know, too. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And, you know, marketing, just because their name is on there, it's going to go through the roof. Yeah, for real. Like, you know, I, I, I thought it was funny just to see, like, how fans were just how they picked up on it so fast. You know, I thought, you know, we have a lot of fans and if our fan base really wanted to, like, make, like, a message about that, I mean, they really could, like, you know, really hit the Internet on that one. So, yeah. Um, so then the other thing that was crazy uh, in the USL, there are two things that were crazy in the USL um, over the weekend. The one thing, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, in the San Antonio match, um, they were playing against, who did they play? They played, I don't have the, I don't have the team that they played. Um, oh, let me see. While you're looking that up. But here's what happened. Uh, they basically had four substitution even uh, Tulsa. Okay, so they were playing FC Tulsa. And on their third substitution, which kind of ran in junction with the hydration break. It was like mm -hmm. an 80, 80 minutes. So um FC Tulsa had a man injured and he just basically came off. They were down a man. Mm -hmm. And at the same time San Antonio subbed a guy. They subbed Pirano off. So that was their third sub. Well, then at 90 plus two minutes, um, San Antonio made a fourth stoppage for a substitution. And so now what happened was there was the question of, well, how did they get to do four substitution stoppages? Because, you know, the rules say that you can do three stoppages or you can use halftime and still have three uh, stoppages to like substitute players, but for a total of five substitutions. Mm -hmm. So San Antonio had only substituted four players by the time the fourth one happened. So the confusion was, well, they didn't technically use all five of their players, but they did use one more instance. So did the referees consider the hydration break to be kind of like halftime where you could basically sell a player out on their time and, you know, and, and that was okay. Um, so that was kind of much of like what was going on on Twitter and somewhere by the end of the evening, Jeff Reuter uh, from the athletic had kind of weighed in on it and he had answered some of the clear questions that obviously the hydration break wasn't um, considered like halftime and that the substitution made in stoppage time isn't the same as added extra time as far as how you get an extra sub in that period. Um, and so basically it came down to was the USL going to find, uh, was the USL going to find San Antonio, San Antonio, um, I think it was $2,500 and also um, give them a three nil forfeit to FC Tulsa. Jeez, those are big consequences but you know at the end of the day if it was any other team they would make them play by the rules they would make them forfeit they'd make them all the fines so to me i mean if if they answered the question saying that you know hydration break didn't count as halftime and you weren't allowed the sub in that time 
you know, play by the rules or you're if you let one team slide, you have to let all the other teams get a pass. And it's just not fair. So to me, I think it's just fair if they just face the consequences. And the coach probably knew what he was doing too. Like they're like I don't mean to be rude, but they're not stupid. They know what they're doing. Yeah, and that that kind of brought about some different responses from different pundits, um, you know, who cover the USL championship. You know, some different people felt like, well, why is the rule even in play, you know, if it's not going to be upheld? Mm -hmm. Because you're basically stating that nothing happens if if anyone breaches the rule. So now um, the league addressed it, pro referees addressed it. Pro referees basically kind of um, – they kind of talk about it as saying, oh, well, it's an error that we made. We're going to deal with it internally. And then USL kind of, you know, in a sense, they kind of take it the same way. Like um, I pulled up the article right now, and, and this is what what was said about it. So because they both issued a statement. So pro, pro referee state this during Saturday's Saturday night match. Officials allowed a fourth opportunity for San Antonio to make a substitution. While the team was still inside their substitutions allotment of five allowed for this match, the substitution was against the temporary amendment to the laws of the game. Pro referees acknowledged that our officials made an error and will address this internally. And then USL came out with a statement and it said, in accordance with league rules, match replays or forfeitures are only contemplated in cases where the total number of substitutions allowed had been exceeded, meaning that they exceeded the five substitutions. Uh, in this case, the Saturday night's match, it was not the total number of substitutions that was in question, but rather the number of moments in which those substitutions were allowed to occur. While the laws should be adhered to by the referee crews and teams, the moments component is largely procedural and in place to avoid additional stoppages and delays. As such, USL, in consultation with Pro, as well as uh, IFAB, will uphold the 2-0 result. So basically, uh, San Antonio wasn't penalized. They were still allowed to keep their 2-0 win um, over FC Tulsa. And everyone's like, okay, well, basically what you're saying is that if teams, can, if teams want to use a fourth sub moment, and they haven't exceeded their five, that it could probably happen. Yeah, and... And there's no consequence. That's just what's frustrating to me, because I know for a fact, if it was any other team, they would have been facing the consequences already. Right. Yeah, it, it just kind of came strange to me. I was like, you know, the USO is trying to be very organized, you know, and it just seemed like in some ways, like, they're, they're getting a little messy, too. Do you know what I mean? Just kind of unorganized. Um, that response definitely kind of hit the Internet, and everyone was like, well, then why even have the rule? You know, and, you know, because this definitely is going to probably speak to even El Paso coaches, Mark Lowry, when he commented about, I don't think injury subs should be included in those three moments. There should be a separate moment. You know, and I, I agree with that because with injuries that you don't know when they happen and you have to have a sub on there because you can't keep the injured player on the fields because it's just going to make it worse. 
So in the, in that aspect, I do agree that injury subs should be separate because those are mandatory. They're not because you want to. Right, because I mean, how could you how could you play a match competitively having three moments to substitute five people? And in your mind, you have to somehow keep one of those moments free of some possible injury that may or may not happen. You know, at that point, you almost have to like fake an injury just to, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it would just get really creative how, how that's done. And I think if you watch college football, you see, you saw that kind of being done or pro or NFL football, you kind of saw that being done when players towards later halves of the, of the game start or they start sitting down and you know it looks like all of a sudden they're injured and then mm -hmm. it's like now this injury timeout that they basically had the player has to come off the the field but it almost bought the team like a timeout to like get a new play into the field like it was yeah. a strategy that they've been using mm -hmm. the linemen mainly are the ones that do it mm -hmm. yeah and i don't know it's just kind of it's kind of dumb to me if, like, you know, like, if Troy tells the guys, like, hey, if you're hurt, can you just, you're going to have to wait till this minute and I could sub you out. So if you get worse, you know, it's not my problem. It's the rules. And it, it's just, it's just stupid. They really need, because, you know, like I said, injuries, they're mandatory. You need to take them off the field immediately. Yeah, exactly. So then let's kind of get into, um, Let's get into New Mexico United. It's why people are here. I mean, obviously, like, I love to talk about all the banter, all the things going on. Oh, man. Yeah, no, we'll we'll, we'll get back to that. But, like, uh, um, so New Mexico United uh, go on the road and play two matches uh, in Harriman, Utah. They play against the defending USL championship winner, uh, Real Monarchs. Okay? And you and I talked um, the last time about what Troy had said before these matches he said that, you know, that he still wanted to give respect to Real Monarch, that they were defending champion. And uh, and so then on Wednesday, um, I'm thinking we're going to hit them hard. Like we're going to hit them with this monstrous, monstrous lineup, right? Mm -hmm. And the lineup that comes out on Wednesday is this 3-4-3 matchup with R Romeo Parks, at the top with Joris Alenvi and David Estrada um, to the left and right of him. And then Brucey and um, who was it? Brucey and uh, I have it. I have pulled it up right here. Brucey and David Najem uh, oh, yeah. play, playing as wingers. So, my initial impression of the lineup was that Romeo Parks was going to have like tons of scoring opportunities with that sort of a lineup because most of these guys were passers. Yeah, and Romeo did have so many opportunities. It was just the finishing what he needed to do and I like I finished counting how many opportunities he had like I think after 5 because he just wouldn't finish. And I'm like, come on, like, you're right there. And with the lineup, I mean, I was surprised to see, you know, kind of the bench as starters and having our starters sit out.
But then I came to realize, you know, they're resting our starters for Saturday because I have a feeling Troy wasn't kind of looking for the three points on Wednesday. It was more like if we can get a tie, we're good. And on Saturday, we can get those three points since we're going to have um, like the main ones rested up. I, I did wonder if he thought he needed to go more defensively on the pitch initially because of what Real Monarch could come out with. Mm-hmm. Because Real Monarch obviously proved to be a defensive squad, um, only losing by one goal against certain teams. And then, of course, putting up goals um, against Colorado Springs. And I, I wondered if he thought he needed to just kind of be defensive in the first half and maybe he could get an opportunity um, off of Romeo Parks or maybe someone else will just put one back. And, and, you know, and if he could accomplish that in the first half, at least, you know, kind of paid for itself. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we kind of saw that when uh, – and I was – this is kind of what I was – I had been writing on is that that setup, those five players, um, they really did occupy more of their space – in front of the 18 when they were attacking and also kind of in front of the defending half 18 as well when they were defending. Uh, and so for the most part, like you didn't really see too many real Monarch players advancing to the second level to get to like the mid, the holding mid in the back line. And so it was like a very defensive effort to which we even saw Brucey Najem and Jory Salinby all get shots on target, you know, and I thought, okay, well, maybe maybe that's what Troy's after, you know, because like you said, Romeo Parks had many opportunities, and I truly believe the reason why he didn't finish is because, uh, for one, he didn't really have a dangerous angle um, on the goalkeeper the times that he had 1v1 opportunities. Mm-hmm. It's like the lane just ran out on him. Um, and then, two, like – there was no one really up there with him for him to kind of kick the ball back to or distribute to, you know, to create chances. So like these were pretty much opportunities where I think he was like, I don't really have an angle right now, um, but I want to try to take a positive shot. Yeah. And there was times where like he would kind of the way his body was positioned, he like leaned back, back instead of leaning forward to just tap the ball in and it would go in past the goalie and um and like you said he didn't have those angles and I can agree on that too but there was still kind of ways to see and also I think there was like one or two plays where it was Romeo and then he had the ball and to his I believe it was his left he had Estrada wide open where he could have easily tapped it to Estrada and Estrada would have had a perfect shot on goal. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and, and you speak to Estrada, you know, I was definitely very surprised to see Estrada playing um, in that in that position to his right. Um, I thought to myself at the beginning, like, okay, well, what are we, you know, what are we doing? I mean, Estrada is normally used as a, a player to kind of control pace, um, you know, he kind of slows the tempo down a little bit. You know, he's also a player who can send crosses, you know, into the box, you know. So, and, and that's what you kind of had 
surrounding Romeo. That's just why I kind of felt like, you know, the day was his. But Estrada kind of turned up to be the guy um, who had the day because in the first half, you know, he sends a long uh, cross over to Kalen Ryden, who heads it in and puts United up 1 0. Uh, what were you thinking? When you saw that goal, there were so many replays of how it happened. Man, I was excited. One, um, Kalen Ryden played for Round Monarchs last season, and the first goal we got against him, it's from his old team. I was so excited about that. And um, second, Estrada, he, man, the way he has been playing just recently has been phenomenal. And he has assists, but I think it's like, uh, like maybe like seventy percent of his passes going into the assists, they've been on. They've been in goal. The, uh, his assist to Amanda Moreno, it's just, it's been amazing, and I really like the way he's playing. It seems like he's getting more comfortable on what he's doing this season and the way that his chemistry is building with the others it's getting better and you can see that everyone just kind of feeds off and vibes off of each other and you start to see the team come together more and more and more now when they show the replays of Kalen Ryden's goal um they kind of show him from the angle where he's like very much outside the 18 and he's like waving his hands for it, trying to call that he's like going to be open on the backside. And as it was, I mean, no one was really marking him. And so then Estrada sees him, sends the ball into a spot where Kalen Ryden ultimately heads it in and then just, you know, collects his like, his like congratulations. And, um, you know, I thought watching that replay in so many different ways, it definitely did like, uh, it definitely did hold true to like how epic the goal was. Yeah, it it was definitely an epic goal, and I like that was my favorite goal uh, from these last two games. And I and I've been calling it too, like you know, be ready for when he scores because it's going to be here soon, and I can feel it. It's not that far away. Right. So then into the second half. Uh, we we see another Estrada pass. This time, uh, it was played off of a, a ball that Romeo ultimately headed over to David Estrada. Estrada took the ball and basically slid it through to uh, Amando Moreno, and Amando Moreno got in his tight space and chipped it over the goalkeeper, which is something we've seen him try mm-hmm. a couple times now. And it goes into the net, and it pulls uh, United up 2-0. So at this point, Amanda Moreno has now scored. Um, and what are you thinking kind of about this 3-4-3 now? Because Amanda Moreno came off of the bench and put a score in about 10 minutes later. I'm really liking it. It seems like they're doing, like, adjusting better to that formation. And with Amanda coming off of the bench, you know – of course, he was getting rested, but his attitude is always 100%. Whether he starts or this time when he came off of the bench, he was still 
going and going and going. He never stopped from the minute he stepped on that field. And it's just, I, I love the way he plays. And I know some people were kind of doubting him in the beginning. You know, like, he's from Liga MX. He's, why isn't he doing this? Why isn't he doing much? And you really need to give a player their time to shine. It's like Andrew Tenari. At first, we weren't really seeing him. And now, look at him. He's doing great in the midfield with Guzman. He's He can hold the mid. He can be an attacking midfielder. And he really showed that in the Phoenix Rising game. And now Amando is like, he's starting to come out as well. And you just need to give their players their time before you start kind of speaking bad on them because you truly haven't seen their full potential. Right. Yeah. And I mean, look at this formation, a three, four, three. So it allows the team to be more compact. Um, they're able to kind of get in like behind the other team's defenders. Um, as I mentioned before, the the top five players, the top three in the outer wings, um, were really mu- really more so the ones that were winning balls up high, which is something that we don't truly see a lot of from United as far as winning balls at midfield. A lot of balls are played uh, to attacking and defensive thirds in the air for the most part. Um, and the other thing I, I had recognized too was that. You know, like I said, the holding mids, Ryan Williams, Salim Muhammad, and then the back line, which was Yearwood, Ryden, and Hamilton, was that um, they really didn't have um, – I mean, they passed the ball, sure, but there weren't really a lot of tackles or slide tackles registered to them on the score sheet. And, you know, and for the most part, I think that their night seemed to be pretty easy because Real Monarch – we're not really getting into dangerous spaces until maybe later into the match. They were getting some looks at it. Um, but for the most part, like United did a really good job keeping them out of any dangerous spaces on the wings or, you know, anywhere near the 18. And, and, and that, that really did seem to speak really true of that formation. Yeah. That was kind of nice to see, you know, not really dangerous plays because, we know how our back line can be. It's it's full it's like not complete yet to where we want it, but it I mean, Real Monarchs didn't have any of their like their kind of powerful players in there either. Um Jack Blake came off of the bench in the second half and that's where they were kind of starting to see some um some attacking in the defensive third, but other than that Kind of not, not really. And Taylor Pay didn't didn't play either on Wednesday night. We only saw him Saturday night, but even then, he still didn't do as much as Jack Blake or um, Powder. Right. And so on Wednesday, Chris Weehan didn't play. Um, you know, they're able to ultimately fulfill all the subs and give him a night off to rest, um, which to me I think is very critical because um, I, I definitely did think that they would use him there. Um, but when they didn't use them, I was like, okay, well, that's great. They can use them for Saturday. You know, the team has kind of got this under control. I think that if uh, United were not up 2-0 or did not go up early 1-0, um, that maybe Troy would have had to use Chris Weehan um, in a different scenario, only because, you know, you know, then at that point he would have to 
add another offensive player on the field. Yeah, and I could kind of see that happening too. But at the same time, with Troy, with for all we know, he probably would have taken out Romeo and put in Sandoval in there because, you know, Moreno and Sandoval also have a good connection up in the front, and that would have helped us too. Right, exactly. I mean, definitely Troy's got different combos. So then going into Saturday's match, um, so going into that lineup-wise, uh, the team was in like a 4 2 3 one So this is now another formation we're seeing. Now, Real Monarchs didn't adjust themselves. They stayed in a 4-4-2. The only difference that Real Monarchs had um, were that they had their starters, you know, their more defined starters in the lineup. But we had a 4-2-3-1. Um, bless you. And we had a, we had Sandoval up top. We had Daniel Bruce, uh, uh, Chris Weehan, Amano Moreno. We had Guzman and Tanari. And we had um, Suggs. Tete, uh, Raiden, and Mohammed in the back line. So virtually a different lineup. Um, uh, my initial thought on the lineup was, okay, now we're going with more of an attacking mindset. We're trying to definitely close the game out. I did kind of – I was a little concerned more, maybe more so about what the defense would look like considering what Wednesday's lineup was like. Um, what was your thought about this lineup and between the 3-4-3 and the 4-2-3-1, which one do you typically get up for when you've seen them like that in match days? I personally like the one that was used Saturday, and not only because you know there are starters, but it's just the way they've been playing, they they kind of like know each other and they know what they're going for. And, and it's like, um, Raw Monarchs was kind of playing to us as well, because even on their lineup on Saturday, they had Jack Blake in there. They had Taylor Bay, they had powder. And it's like, I don't know. It's kind of like we got on the same page, you know, rest your starters on Wednesday and then Saturday we can have like, kind of like a real matchup. And it's just, I have, like, they've been doing so well, New Mexico United, with the formation um, Coach has put out there. So I'm curious to see if he's going to stick with that or, you know, kind of switch things around again here in a little bit. I mean, I thought Wednesday's lineup could have totally been in the 4-2-3-1. I mean, having, having Parks maybe play that lone striker at the top, you know, and then maybe you had um, – you wouldn't necessarily have had Weehan underneath. You could have still had, you know, like a Sandoval or – you know what I'm saying? Like they could have had something very similar. Or even – I know Sergi made the trip, but he wasn't in the 18 on either, either day. Um, but, like, I guess it was just interesting because of the fact that um, – uh, it was interesting because I realized that with that lineup, it offers more of a vantage point. Ah, sorry, I'm trying to plug in my battery here before it dies. No, you're fine. Um, the thing that I the thing that I like about the four two three one um, is 
for one, the lone striker and the points of distribution. And I thought if Wednesday's lineup was in that, um, that would have given Romeo Parks like one more person to maybe have fed him the ball as well. Um, and I do like the fact that the team is so interchangeable now that really anyone can be in any position on any formation on any given night. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that sort of flexibility has to be like a ace in like Troy Lassane's sleeve because he really has all these players that are like down to be anywhere. I mean, and you know, this all kind of started off with like players out of position, like Salim Muhammad playing center back or, you know, playing wing back or, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So tell me this, like, I mean, looking at how we're like a little bit over halfway through a season, and our players kind of play any positions. Like, I mean, what is your thought on how well, like, the team has adjusted, you know, and, and you know what I mean? Um, I think that they've adjusted really well. Like you said, Salih playing center back, when he usually plays in the midfield, I was like, whoa, like, what is going on? But, you know, he did well, and – Bruce, usually, you know, he's up top or he's a wing, and then he's playing, what is it, a left back or right back, one of those two. And it's like, it's weird to see, or Suggs playing as a wing in the middle. And it's like, you really have to, like, you know, look at it, but then also think about the way they play. You know, Suggs loves, he even though he plays as a left back, he loves to go up high and, you know, feed them the ball. So, you know, the midfield, like, okay, it makes sense for him. And Salih, he's amazing as, as, like, as a holding midfield like Guzman. And I can see him dropping back and kind of controlling that middle with Raiden, who, who is a great leader in the back line. It's just, I... It's scary because you know they haven't we haven't seen them play that position, but even though they have been played, it kind of makes them more aware of what they need to do, and that's when they get their A game on. And it's like, okay, I can't let this happen or this happen because it can be on me, and I should know how to go in any position that you know coach asked me to go to. Right, and so the things that were interesting. So Saturday. United wins 2-1. Um, I don't really consider – so I, I don't really consider them to have been much of a threat on Saturday either. Um, the first goal comes after the first five minutes. Chris Weehan takes a set piece, chips it, like drops it pretty much like right on Armando's shoe. I mean, all he has to do at this point is just kick the ball, which he does, and United's up 1-0. Um you know, and then and then the second mat, second goal is uh, Kalen Ryden sending a long cross up to Suggs. Suggs then crossing it over back into the middle of the pitch, realizing he didn't have an angle. Taylor Pay gets his head on it, mm-hmm. and then Chris Weehan tees it up off the bounce and then just kicks it straight into the net, you know, and gets his sixth, sixth goal of the season. So at this point, Amanda Moreno has back-to-back goals, Weehan has had goals in the last, or sorry, in two of the three last matches, including Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. Um, At this point, like, what do you what do you think the morale is like on the team, or even within Weehan and and Moreno, um, to have have that that sort of scoring potency? 
man, it's it's great because you know they're kind of like feeding off of each other, and like I said, they're getting hungry for goals, and you can tell that they're always looking to find the back of the net. And it's frustrating when they when they don't because you can see the frustration in their face when they get a shot and it's not on target or it goes way off to the side or they're this close but it chips off of the goalie or the, the crossbar and I I don't know they, it's gonna be a, like good competition between them two up in, in the front and in the wings. Now, yeah, and and then the other thing is so United's up two 0 It's like looking like a third clean sheet in a row. And then somewhere into, I'm not sure, I think it was at like the 70th minute, um, Ryan Sierkowski, the, the pickup from Portland Timbers 2, uh, has the ball, dribbles in, and kind of chips a rainbow shot over Cody Mizell. Personally, I thought, okay, come on. Like, we can't be giving up some easy goal like that. You know what I mean? They is apparently up for goal of the week this week, you know. You know, I was just like, man, how did we give this up? Man, I I don't know. It's just that always kind of seems to happen when we're up, and then all of a sudden, like, whoa, they scored. Like, what's going on? And next thing you know, like, we're tied. What, like, what's going on? Or is, like, everyone getting a little too excited and they're forgetting what they need to do? Or do you, like, need to take a step back, calm down, and pretend it's, Zero zero, so you can keep going for more goals, and that's that unit that I always worry about. Is mm-hmm. when we have our attacking unit in, then defense is kind of not necessarily very. Def- uh, it's not very sound. Like, yeah, they'll defend, but it is very much like the two nil, two one matches. We're usually a goal up when that sort of defense is happening. But again, Wednesday's lineup with almost every player out there being like a defensive style player, you know, I didn't necessarily feel like that was the worry. I was more concerned about us maybe putting goals in because I felt like we had everyone out there who could stop goals from going in. I just didn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And, and, and when they were going, when they went up a goal because a defensive player right in puts mm-hmm. a goal in, it's like, okay, well your defense scored a goal. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you know, I, that's the thing I, I think is like, well, it's great that we have different people who can score, but, you know, I mean, I can't be the only one thinking, like, how are these results going to fare against a rematch of a Phoenix Rising? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's where it gets kind of, like, iffy about, because Phoenix Rising, man, they just... They don't stop. They keep going and going. It, like I said, it's like Bayern. They don't. At the end of the day, they don't care what the score is on the board as long as they keep putting um, goals in the back of the net. They don't care. And we have to think now. I mean, like I said, being nearly halfway through a season, we have to start looking at the competition in Group D with San Antonio and Austin Bolt currently being the number one and two teams, you know, um, you know, Austin, obviously before the restart, we lost one nil team didn't have chemistry. I venture to say, I think that we would be able to uh, be a good challenge against them. I think that we'd be able to, to find a win against that team. Um, Just because I think a lot of things are different now, Um, but don't get me wrong. They're still, 
they're still a great team and they can still definitely, you know, put some goals out. But um, I think things would be different. And then San Antonio obviously hasn't really lost. Um, so there is still, you know, a team like that who put a 5-1 on us or 5-0 on us last year. Yeah. Um, and, and so so those are still teams that are very dangerous no matter how, what we're doing in Group C. Um, some of the things that I thought for the formation I was curious about is we played a lot of balls over the middle. The commentator kind of noticed that too. He said that they're playing a lot of balls over the middle. They're, they're not really going through the middle. And I thought, well, I know Troy wanted to be committed to the press. So it means that anytime that Real Monarchs got it and they're defending third and they were trying to bring it up on the ground, that's where you would see, you know, the press kind of start that would give United enough time to move numbers up to kind of initiate the press. Um, my concern, though, is that if a team can get in the middle on us, that they have a really good chance on going on a counter. And I thought Wednesday's lineup kind of prevented the counter because they were able to really cover the middle. But I wasn't really sure about Saturday's lineup being able to defend well against a, uh, a, a counter like that. Yeah, I wasn't too sure about that either. In the back line, I liked how it was set up, but I would have preferred Najem to be in there because I feel like even he is a way more defensive player, but he also is kind of like Suggs in a sense. Like He'll hold back a little bit more, but he still goes up and he starts feeding those balls to the middle or in – in the in the front and we get chances and i personally i think our strongest back line would be najem raiden and tete in the middle and on the other side you know it honestly sucks yeah and so one player that really sticks out to me from wednesday's match was ryan williams like I'm really kind of wondering, like, I'm really kind of wondering, like, what his roles have been in the matches or, you know, like, where his identity is on the team. Because, I mean, last year he was hurt a lot, so we didn't really – we saw him obviously come in clutch on a couple of goals and be, like, that difference maker. But, like, this year, like, I mean, other than, you know, contributing to passes – and we saw him take some like, you know, he he could he you know he he conceded some fouls, and then also took some. But it was like he wasn't necessarily the guy taking shots on goal, and he wasn't necessarily this highly defensive player. I'm just kind of wondering, you know, if he's still trying to figure out, you know, his way, or you know, or if things just truly aren't, you know, if he's doing all that he can kind of do in those moments. Yeah, I think he's still trying to figure it out, too. And along the way, he's learning and from his mistakes. But he's also been doing well. He was one of the players last season who helped us get a tie against El Paso that they claim was an offside goal. But it's just he can make a difference, and he's gotten a lot better from last year. Yeah, because it, it just, like I say, it just seems like he's in a holding position. So yeah. You know what I mean? So, therefore, it's like, well, you're not really going to see him really be trying to score unless, you know, they're all in the box, 
you know, no. on, a, on a set piece or something like that. Yeah, he's more like a holding mid and kind of like looking at the looking at the field and seeing who's open to see who can make those plays that need to happen. Yeah. Now we've often talked about this on the podcast, but like possession doesn't really tell the full story of a match. Wednesday, New Mexico had 38% possession. So obviously had gotten up on the scoreline and pretty much allowed real monarchs to have the ball as much as they could possibly want it. Um, but then on Saturday, New Mexico had it 61%. And, you know, I mean, obviously we were able to do something with it, but we gave uh, Real Monarchs, again, like very little opportunity with the ball. I don't think that Real Monarchs really started doing anything until like the last 20 minutes of the match when they brought all their numbers up. Yeah, and you can see the difference there too with an attacking uh, lineup on Saturday. We obviously we want the ball. We're trying to get possession and create plays while on Wednesday, you know, like kind of get rid of it. And when we get it, we can try and go for it. But other than that, just um, just defend, defend, defend and keep them on their half and see if we can get an opportunity in their box or outside of the 18. Right. So that win on Saturday brought us to nine points over the three matches over eight days. Um, it put New Mexico to 19 points uh, in Group C with El Paso drawing with Colorado Springs earlier in the night and making uh, the lead currently seven points uh, between New Mexico and El Paso. Now, of course, El Paso does have a game in hand, so you know there is still you know, potential for them to, to draw the lead a little bit closer. Um, the win also, it did a couple things for us. Um, it basically brought the magic number for us to clinch playoffs down to 14 points. Um, ultimately, the most points that Colorado Springs can get is 32. The most points that Monarchs can get is 31. So... 14 more points at this at this rate would put it put us at 33 points so we'd already be over the maximum for those two teams um el paso can get uh i believe it's 36 points is the total they can get it was 38 before the match so it's 36 points um now obviously they're still within reach of colorado springs because colorado springs has um, two matches in hand. So there's still going to be like six points that can make or break the, that situation. Um, so to me, like, it's really good for United to be in a position this season where they can potentially just keep winning and, and earn their, not only earn a playoff spot, but it's 17 points. 17 points. Yeah, so it's it's or sorry, it's 18 points to be able to win 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 the division. Yeah, and I mean at this point it's kind of hard to tell who's going to take the like in in that realm with Colorado Springs and El Paso. Um, because they're so close and both of those teams, you know, 
they're kind of unpredictable. Even though they tied, uh, you don't know what can happen. Even with Real Monarchs, too, they've been losing. But, I mean, we beat them last season. What was it, like, 5-1? And yeah. they became champions. And we lost to them in the second time around. And it with those teams, it it's unpredictable. Yeah, and the, the cool thing right now within the, the division is that almost every match is like a six pointer. Every match is a is a is a match where the three points you can earn it, but it also takes three points away from the team who's like underneath you. So, you know, our next match is going to be Colorado Springs. You know, who you know, obviously when you're beating them head to head, you take away three more points. You take away their ability to earn 32, they can only earn 29 points. You know what I mean? It then all of a sudden makes them fourth and it, it takes us a lot closer uh, to clinch, you know? Um, so I think that, that that's very interesting. And I remember last season at the press conferences, you know, the message was, hey, you know, we got our fate in our hands. You know, and and we saw it every week as the result was a loss. You know that it came down to needing to depend on two different teams to win or lose. You know, and that's not any place obviously you want your team to be. I think that this year is much better for them. Um, I do think that it's going to be interesting as we play El Paso the second time around. Yeah, it it is going to be a, a bit more interesting to see that. And it's probably going to get interesting, too, this Saturday against Colorado Springs. And they haven't had – we've had a clean sheet with them. They haven't lost to us, and we haven't even tied to them. And it's, it's going to get interesting towards the end. But, you know, I don't want to do that again where at the end we're, like, kind of – hanging by a thread and searching for points and depending on this team and that team. And it's just something that the way the team is playing this year, we shouldn't have an excuse to not clinch playoffs. Right. Now the power rankings came out this week and, and it, they took a couple of things into consideration, which I, I was thinking about towards the top of, of the show. Um, the power rankings came out and they have New Mexico at number six and we came up two spaces and really it was the back-to-back wins over real monarchs that really contributed to that ranking. And uh, they have Phoenix at number five and they have them dropping two spots. And ultimately is it because of this draw to Las Vegas lights that happened? And I wanted to talk about it for a minute because you know, with everything that had happened in the USL, I could not imagine how Phoenix Rising would would not have won that match. Uh, they're up, they're up ultimately three uh, one um, as they hit the 90th minute, and there's four minutes of stoppage time. But then there's also injuries and other stoppage that plays a part, and somehow Las Vegas manages to score two goals. Um, in the ninety like fifth and ninety seventh minute, and they go on to tie uh, Phoenix Rising, and a lot of the quandary on the internet was, how is there ninety eight minutes plus four? Like they couldn't understand 
like all of that time. They figured it was over at 98 minutes. And, you know, and, and I think what it was is that it was 90 minutes plus four, but then the the 90 minute portion was additional time that was wasted that added that on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do get what you mean. Like it was probably four minutes and then the 94 came along and within the stoppage time, more time was wasted. So the ref had to add another four minutes. I, I can see what you're saying. And like it was probably just a total of 98 minutes total. But in, yeah. their, in their minds, they thought it was like 102 minutes. Yeah. You know, I get what you mean. But um, it's crazy that Las Vegas Lights tied them. I was not expecting that. I was expecting another damn win from Phoenix Rising. And it's just, like I said, every, at this point, any team is it's unpredictable. You can probably, like, it's so unpredictable to the point where even uh, Tulsa could probably beat Phoenix, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's crazy. So I, to me, that was like, that might've been, that might've kept off my weekend it was like, okay, well, Phoenix just drew to Las Vegas. The internet was in an uproar. Twitter was like, they couldn't understand it, you know? And, and, and it was another opportunity to kick the, uh, the rival while they were down. Yeah. Um, so Phoenix has 20 points total currently. Sacramento and Reno are actually very competitive with 18 points. Um, we've got 19. Obviously, San Antonio and, and Tulsa are looking well, and El Paso's there. So, like, it's it's starting to shape up very interestingly as far as who it might be that we could be seeing. Still a little too soon, but I think that for the most part, most of the teams are making their way. The interesting thing in Group B, if you check it out, is that in Group B, LA, Las Vegas, and um, LA, Las Vegas, and Orange County all have three matches in hand because of all the COVID uh, matches that were rescheduled. So they all have at least nine point possibilities. Um, and so the only things that are for certain in Group B is that Phoenix has 20 points with nine matches played. And that San Diego has 11 points, or excuse me, uh, 14 points with nine matches played. So it 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 makes it like really no, it's 11 points. Yeah, so it's like so it makes it very interesting now because ultimately it could be anyone in Group B still. Mm-hmm. You know, like like Phoenix could go on a, a crazy spell and not win some games. And it's because of Orange County and LA, you know, ultimately winning those matches. So it's, you know, I think that no one's really sure who's going to win now. Yeah, no, like no one's sure. And even though San Diego Loyal, they haven't been winning games, all of a sudden they can get a spark and they can start doing super well. It's just, it, like I said, you just never know. You really have to keep an eye out for these teams and just literally take it match by match and not compare it to what's going on because I like uh, Colorado Springs, like they lost against us, but Saturday, can they be playing more than their full potential already and probably have like not get points on the road this weekend? We don't know. 
Yeah, I mean that's a that's very much a good question. I mean, Colorado has been playing El Paso and um, and even Real Monarchs, and they have been ultimately um, putting up really good defensive efforts. They got themselves in a clean sheet against El Paso, and we know that El Paso used some of their new defenders that they just picked up. Um, they also had Leandro Carrijol on the bench as well. Um, so El Paso definitely, you know, could be a very different team the next time we play them uh, because of all their new signings, you know, and, and what that may look like. And, um, you know, I guess time will tell. Uh, any any final thoughts uh, for this episode in regards to Real Monarchs, anything we've talked about with USL, um, you know, anything that's on your mind at this point? Um, not, not really, you know, it's just, like I said, um, earlier, like give each player their time to shine, don't doubt them. And with Moreno, I, I knew for the minute he was signed, he was going to do wonders to this team. It just, it was going to take a little bit, but he's, he's going up there and I cannot wait to see him when he's literally at his peak just like Chris Weehan. Those two are unstoppable on the field. Right on. So where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at exclusive underscore Alicia. And on Facebook, you can find me under Alicia Arias. Right on. Yeah, and I would just say, guys, like uh, my final thought really is um, uh, United is – definitely starting to kind of show us uh, something different. Troy's vision is starting to um, really like kind of reveal itself. You know, you realize any man can, can step up and be in that position and play. Um, you know, we, I think we still need to see how, this team that is shifting from just being on the attack to being defensively sound. We really need to see how it does again against El Paso um, and, and still Colorado Springs. But like, I just, I wish that it could be constantly tested week to week with really tough teams. Um, but I like what I'm seeing so far. And, you know, I mean, I'll take what we can get in year two. And uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at by Chris Walker, um, Facebook as Christopher M. Walker. Um, and so that's going to do it for tonight's episode. We hope that you guys will enjoy it, subscribe, share the episode, uh, leave us a comment or a review on Apple. And uh, you've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike podcast, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find more USL-related podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. To never miss new content, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Seek and Strike Collective. Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com.
Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. Thank you.